Hi, and welcome to Follow Baptist Church's weekly message podcast. My name's Luke Williams, and I'm the lead pastor, and we're thrilled to have you joining us. We hope the message today inspires you and helps you follow Jesus in your community for His glory. Here's the message. Today's Bible reading will be from Genesis, and we will start with Genesis 2, verses 7 to 9. You can follow along on the screen or in your own Bible. And if you don't have a Bible with you, there are some available in the baskets in the aisles. And if you don't own a Bible and would like to take one home to read, then please take one as our gift to you. I will be reading from the New International Version. Genesis 2 verses 7 to 9 says, Now the Lord God has planted a garden in the east, in Eden, and there he put the man he had formed. The Lord God made all kinds of trees grow out of the ground trees that were pleasing to the eye and good for food. In the middle of the garden were the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And now verse 15. The Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. Genesis 3 verses 17 to 19 says, To Adam he said, Because you listened to your wife and ate fruit from the tree, about which I commanded you, you must not eat from it. Cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil, you will eat food from it all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you, and you will eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your brow, you will eat your food until you return to the ground, since from it you were taken. For dust you are, and to dust you will return. All right. Wasn't she great? proud father. Oh, welcome church family. It's great to be with you again and to share God's word with all of you. My name is Craig. I'm one of the elders here and uh, let's see if we can open up in a word of prayer. Let's pray. Our Lord, we do thank you for the wonderful way that we can gather here this morning. Thank you, Lord, for preparing our hearts through the ministry of worship, through the ministry of corporate prayer, through the ministry of reading your word. We pray, Lord, now as we come to your word, that you would prepare our hearts and minds. We know that there are many things which can distract us, but Lord, we ask that you'd help us to remain focused on those things that you want us to learn this morning. We pray that you would convict us, Lord, Uh, to build on what Luke has spoken about regarding our responsibility in the workplace. Help us, Lord, to be salt and light in a world, Lord, that is often sometimes extremely chaotic. Lord, we want to change this world for your kingdom and for your name's sake. So help us, Lord, if the next half an hour or so, Lord, to remain focused on you in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, thanks, worship team. I love that new song, which is really great to uh, take on a new song and learn it and practice it, and also just great to prepare my own heart and hopefully all of our hearts as we gather here this morning. So as Luke has already told you, we continue our series on Bloom Where You Planted, and we're going to be touching on the themes of work, rest, and play. So over the next couple of weeks, we're going to be specifically focusing on the topic of work, uh, or sometimes referred to as vocation. Everyone has a vocation. Some of you are paid, some of you are not. Some of you are still learning, either in school or uni, 
Others are masters of their trade. For some, it's a nine to five gig. For others, a full-time job raising children. The instructions that the Bible gives us on this topic includes all these areas of work. Today I want to talk about a biblical theology of work and then leave you with some practical advice on how to apply this to your workplace come Monday morning. Now that's somewhat of, of a challenge, as you know. The last thing we feel like talking about is work when we're here on Sunday. But the more I've studied God's Word, the more I've realized that work is a crucial ministry area. Some years ago, I walked out of a church in South Africa, and written above the door as you left was the saying, you are now entering the mission field. The mission field isn't just some country far away. It's on your doorstep. And the biggest missionary field most of us will ever encounter is actually the workplace. The workplace should be one of the greatest opportunities to advance the kingdom of God. Here we have relationships with non-believers, we have time, and we have opportunity to sow a word in season into their lives. So why do we often feel that we need to keep this separate from our Christian walk? Do you not know that it's the Lord who has placed you in that situation? With that boss, with that sometimes irritating co-worker or demanding client, and this is where he has called you to bloom. The Lord, like a masterful gardener, plants us with, within different environments to bear fruit for him. Like a masterful gardener, he knows the strengths and weaknesses of each plant. Whether it needs shade or sunlight, when it must be watered, when it needs to be pruned, and when it needs to be given the freedom to grow. So too with us and the workplaces we have been planted in. The Lord knows our strengths and our weaknesses, our fears and our passions. He knows when we need to be stretched and when we need to be rested. He has placed us perfectly in the right garden with the expectation of you blooming. Where you are now in your workplace is your missionary field. So in order to understand this better, let's first look at how the character of God is represented through work. Firstly, in our reading from Genesis, we see that from the beginning, God is a worker. He worked six days on the universe, and he rested on the seventh. Secondly, we see that God is still working. In 1 John 5, 17, when Jesus is confronted by the Pharisees for working on the Sabbath, Jesus says, My Father is always at work to this very day, and I too am working. God is still intricately and purposefully involved in cultivating His creation. It's not like some big alarm clock that God has wound up and left over there to run by itself. The imagery we have here is that God is always knitting things together and he's creative and he's doing work continually 24 by 7 in creation, in the universe, creating galaxies millennia away but also concerned about the number of hairs on your head, also concerned about sparrows that fall from the sky, also concerned about the things that you worry about and dream about. 
Verse 15 from Genesis says that the Lord God took man and put him in the Garden of Eden to cultivate it and keep it. The most noticeable thing about this passage is that work takes place before the fall, before Adam and Eve sinned. Work is not a result of sin. It's what we were created for. Now, I confess, the first time I heard that, I was somewhat disappointed. <laughs> I'd imagined me sitting on a beach for the first thousand years and eating grapes for the next. Right? <laughs> so here was this concept of work even before the fall. The truth of it is that since God is a worker and creator, and we are made in his image, we too carry these attributes. From the very beginning, we were made to be image bearers of God. And one of the ways that we bear that image is to work. It's important to recognize both that God created people to work and that he commands people to work. At the beginning of the Bible, God builds work into the essence of humanity. Later, in various parts of Scripture, God commands all people to work to the degree that they are able. Work continues through to the very end of the Bible. There is work in the Garden of Eden, and there is work in the Kingdom of Heaven. We could say that everyone is called to work if we recognize that in this sense, called really means created and commanded to work. It can be difficult to discern the word God Sorry, it can be difficult to discern the work God may be calling you to do, but there can be no doubt that he made you as a worker and that he expects you to work, and again, to the degree that you are able. In our verse from Genesis, we see that God gave us a much broader mandate. He told us to be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. Adam and Eve started out tending a garden. But their dominion or rulership over that garden was to expand into dominion over the whole earth and beyond. God created us to work as part of a broader mandate to turn chaos into order. That's what it means to cultivate, to keep, and to subdue. Don't you find it interesting that in the garden and creation, that it needed cultivating at all? Why did it need to be cultivated? Why was there work? Why was there subduing that needed to occur? Was it unruly? Well, in short, yes, it was. It was kind of like our current gardens, the tendency to overgrow. Only God can create something out of nothing. Our role is to create something out of something, to take the building blocks of creation and to do something with them. This is the cultural mandate. Create culture in cities. Invent the wheel. Split the atom. Travel to the stars. All of these are in God's creation mandate. It's no accident that the ultimate biblical picture of redeemed humanity in the book of Revelation involves a city. Bob Toon, one of the founders of the Gospel Coalition, says that this city in Revelation reflects human culture in its most developed and complex form. God's purpose for humanity started in a garden, but it culminates in a great cultural center. 
He goes on to say that we are meant to turn the entire earth into a showcase of the glory of God and then work for it for all eternity. This is the principle of work, to use our talents and to be good stewards. Just a short clarification. It's always important to consider the whole counsel of God when we think about a specific topic. Dominion here is to work the earth and cultivate it, not destroy it. Proverbs 12.10 says that the righteous care for the needs of their animals. We see that God cares for the birds of the air that neither reap nor sow, and we see multiple principles in the books of the law around caring for land. So dominion, yes, but a good and thoughtful dominion. The future city that Revelation talks about also gives us some hints of what work might be like within the new heaven and the new earth. For those of you that heard me preach, I always love to include a little hint of something in heaven. And so too, we see that the shadows we see here on earth reflect the things that we will pursue in heaven. People didn't venture across oceans and to outer space because of sin. They did so because God made us with a yearning to explore and the creativity to make that yearning a reality. Have you ever read about people who have taken amazing journeys and wished you had the time, the money, courage, and the health to do the same? In the new heaven and earth, none of these restraints will hold us back. When God gave Eden to Adam and Eve, he expected them to develop it. But after the fall, they became hindered by sin, pain, suffering, and fatigue. We carry the burden of this curse as well. In the future, God will give us the new earth and expect us to do the same. But this time, we'll succeed unhindered. So in a perfect creation, we are meant to work because work has inherent value. And that value is based on God's character. But after the fall, the nature of the work took on a whole new dimension. After Adam and Eve ate of the fruit, God said, Cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil, you will eat food from it all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you. And you will eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your brow, you will eat your food until you return to the ground. It's almost a picture there of working ourselves to death, isn't it? Somebody suggested originally that man was a gardener, but the curse turned him into a farmer. The curse changed the nature of work, but the curse didn't bring about work. Because of the fall, our environment has become hostile, full of thorns and thistles. Everything we do now is tainted by sin. When we put our hand to the plow, it involves sweat and exertion. You know what it's like trying to impress a boss but not quite understanding what they're looking for? Dealing with children who are constantly testing and challenging you? Trying to close a deal only to have it go to your competitors? Governments putting policies in place that are designed to hinder your efforts? So much posturing, politicking, negotiating, placating, backstabbing. We often joke on some of our projects that we'd be a lot more productive if we could just take the humans out of the project. One of the <laughs> See, somebody agrees. 
One of the co coaching exercises I often do is we get people to list what they think is wrong with their organization or with their team. We take that list and we separated it into heart and mind. Where do you suppose most of those things fit? They fit on the heart side, not on the mind side. So most of the things and the challenges they're having have got nothing to do with issues, nothing to do with policies, procedures, and technologies. They've got to do with the heart. Or heart, as I should say. <laughs> yeah. The heart. <laughs> what I've seen from chairman of the board to interns is that if you scratch a little below the surface, there is a lot of pain, anxiety, broken marriages, broken hearts, regrets, and struggles. This is the true nature of the workplace in a broken and fallen world. People are longing for a sense of purpose, impact, and meaning. Instead, a lot of the time, they are hindered and hurting. This is the soil that God has planted us into within the workplace. If we take a kingdom focus, then these lives are our mission field. And we have the words of eternal life. 1 Corinthians 10.31 says, Whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. If we are to live life for the glory of God, then we need a God-centered view of work. The glory of God must inform and transform our view of work itself. No longer is work a necessary evil. It is now a calling it's a chance for us to build relationships for the purpose of sharing the gospel. God's grace doesn't just change our eternal destiny. It changes our entire worldview, our entire basis of living, the lens through which we see the world and our workplace. Bob Toon says that most non-Christians see work simply as a means to an end. Work provides beer money or a fat retirement pension or better life for their kids. Unfortunately, many Christians see work in exactly the same way. We may be pursuing more Christ-like ends, money to tithe or an opportunity to witness to a coworker, for instance. But our view of work itself is still fundamentally unchanged. We still see work as a means to an end. We are using work. We're in it for what we can get out of it. God may be honored in the results of our work, but he is not supreme in our view of work itself. Whether you're a minister or a mechanic, you do not work because it pays the bills, or because it's personally fulfilling, or because you want a carefree retirement. Although these things are good in themselves, they should not become the main reason for why we work. When you show up at your job come Monday morning, you're there for the glory of God. Now, as a Christian businessman, I began my first business with a very worldly mindset. It was all about chasing the deals and the money and retiring by 40. Over time, I began to understand that the business did not belong to me. It was God's business. And we shifted our focus from hiring people because of what we could get out of those people to rather explore what we could put into those people. We hired people out of townships who had no skills, and they had no future that they could carve a path for themselves. We taught them how to become business leaders. Some of the kids we took through our programs now have a C in front of their titles. 
for CEO, CIO, CTO, all the rest. I remember once we recruited this one fella. Uh, he um, was a terrible worker. That's all I can actually just say. And God led us to him. He had been unable to provide for his family for 18 months. They were in absolute terrible situation. And this is what we saw work as. It was an opportunity to witness into his life. You know? He had a great work ethic, but man took him 18 months to try and figure out what it is that we did for our clients. Okay. And I wanted to fire this individual multiple times. And the Lord just constantly said, this is not what you're in business for. You're in business to impact someone's life. And that's eventually what we did. We impacted this individual's life. He came to our prayer times. He, we provided for him. He started to get confidence in himself again. He started to provide for his family. All of these wonderful things uh, that we actually were able to do, regardless of my worldly, worldly views, thinking, looking for opportunities to fire him. This is what we want to do when we talk about fruit in the workplace. What can we put into people as opposed to taking out? So now that we've looked at a little bit of biblical theology of work, let's finish off by looking at five practical principles that we can use on our vacation. The first is the kingdom principle. Jesus was all about loving our neighbors, loving our enemies, patience, kindness, mercy, justice, and love. Each day is an opportunity to apply these into our vocations. I want to encourage you to be proactive about this. This very week, I was challenged in this area to look at the people and not just outcomes. No coincidence that this would happen on the week that I'm preparing for this sermon. Get into business, purely focus on outcomes. Wasn't interested in excuses around what people could do. Had a team that wasn't performing and didn't even consider the human aspect of forcing them to work till 4 o'clock in the morning. All right. You can see, still a work in progress. All right. These are the things that we need to think about and struggle with and wrestle with God. It's something you need to work on daily within your quiet times, being deliberate about focusing your day and thoughts on the kingdom and the people who are hurting. It's not always about outcome. It's about the people. How can we impact their lives? Our second principle is the purpose principle. We have been created for a purpose, just like a seed for an oak tree or an apple tree, so too are you a seed that has been created for a purpose. Ephesians 2 says, 2, 2 verse 10, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. I've recently read a great book called The Wealthy Gardener. There's a fascinating sort of analogy that it has in there, which I thought was quite relevant. It talks about an acorn from an oak tree. And he keeps this acorn on his desk. And this acorn is an example of potential that hasn't been realized. And for 10 years, this acorn sat on this man's desk. Basically saying for 10 years, the power of what that acorn could become was completely diminished. It never grew into what it could be. It needed something else. It needed a gardener to come and take it, plant it in the soil, water it, give it fertilizer, nourish it, do all those things so that it could actually grow into something that would become a mighty oak. This is the job of the master gardener. You are that acorn. And the point of the master gardener is to put you in the right environment where you can grow and where you can produce fruit 
and where you can grow to the size of an oak tree within those environments. That's what the master gardener does with our lives, and he uses work and our workplace to actually do that. Takes us all like seeds, planting us just in the right places that are needed to produce that. And then slowly works on the environment around us, nourishing and watering it, putting all those things in place so that you can actually grow and bring glory to those, to his name and to those in the workplace. This means that we should be using our talents in the office with a purpose in mind. This is the purpose principle. For instance, if you're a person who's great at hospitality, don't just apply this hospitality to members in your church, but extend it to those in your workplace. Inviting the boss or a colleague home for dinner to show some Christian hospitality may seem terrifying. But if you have a kingdom focus and you have been placed with a purpose, that individual just might be the person you are meant to witness to. If, you're, if you are in a difficult job, a difficult school, a difficult sports team, Working with challenging kids, the master gardener has put you there with a purpose, and he has promised to equip you for that purpose. You may not think you can do it now, but God has put you there, and he, he will give you what is needed to succeed. Sometimes the only lesson we need in this situation is to actually just ask God. Asking means on our knees, seeking God's help and provision. It means recognizing that we cannot do it in our own strength and that we are in need to call on God for help. Philippians 4.19 says, And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. Number three, the work ethic principle. God is glorified when we put ourselves, our whole selves, into work. Colossians 3.23 says, Whatever you do, work at it with all of your heart as working for the Lord not for human masters, since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. It is the Lord Christ you are serving. Go to work tomorrow and be the best employee, the best manager, the best associate, and the best parent you can be. There is a saying that says, that states, the only place where success comes before work is in the dictionary. Thomas Edison, who invented a whole heap of things, including the light bulb, the telegraph, and the motion picture, he had a real famous quote, which I enjoy. Opportunity is missed by most people because it is dressed in overalls and looks like work. <laughs> if you want to see all your coworkers saved, but you have a habit of avoiding difficult activities, avoiding the hard yards and ducking and diving work obligations, your witness will be compromised and God will not be honored. There are already enough people like that. Don't be one of them. Seek to be known as the most honest, most humble, most ethical, most patient, most competent person in your field. Remember, it's not just your work colleagues who are looking at your work ethic. It's your children as well. Proverbs 13.22 says that a good person leaves an inheritance for their children's children. The inheritance is not just money, it's also around character attributes and work ethic attributes. We must be diligent around teaching our children a work ethic. If you keep intervening and taking the job from them when it becomes difficult, what are you teaching them? I recently had a job at my house 
where I had to put some insulation in the roof. And I thought, well, I can pay somebody to come and do it, or I can pay my son and his friends to come and do it. <laughs> now, you can expect that the job won't be the same. <laughs> but seeing my son up there in that ceiling with his friends, mask on, dust everywhere, cobwebs and all the rest of it, I had to be up there with him. And man, it was difficult. There were small, tiny spaces, and I'm not a small fella. Right. They were in there on their hands and knees getting to it, and there was actually moments of panic because sometimes we got trapped. Right. But in reflection, I thought, well, we could stop this, or there's a lesson learned here and a wonderful opportunity right, where some work ethic was taught to them, right. besides the fact that they got some money. Okay, so there's a little bit of a trade-off there. Okay. So these are the opportunities that we need to be looking for. This is around teaching our children what it means to work hard and then also get the reward of working hard off the back of that. So the next time you're at Ikea and you come home with one of those giant Lego sets, right, see it as an opportunity to bring in the kids and teach them how to do it. And they can see it forming in front of them and they've created something. Yes, it may take longer. And yes, at the end of it, you might see a few pieces that have been left there and not sure where they went. All right. Just put it to the side and enjoy the creation, okay? So just like the Lord comes besides us and provides us a loving hand and coaches us to be better, so too we as parents, we've got to look for ways that we can do the same thing. Come beside our kids as coaches and teach them to be better and teach a work ethic that can reflect Christ, Christ-centered work. We must provide them opportunities to develop this work ethic so that it can carry them forward into future jobs where they can be a testimony. Many employers look for good work ethics. I'm one of them. Because it provides good soil that we can use to shape and develop employees of the future. The fourth principle, the honesty principle. God is glorified when we are honest. Even when it hurts us financially, or prevents us from getting ahead in our careers. God's word is full of commandments and guidance around honesty and dishonesty. Romans 13.7 says, Give to everyone what you owe them. If you owe taxes, pay taxes. If revenue, then revenue. If respect, then respect. If honor, then honor. Let's talk about taking cash payments. When someone asks for cash payments on a job, Nine times out of ten, that person is looking to keep the transaction off the books and avoid paying tax. Are you one of these people? What do you suppose that does to your testimony? What about Centrelink payments? Are you one of those who really needs the support? Or have you adjusted things to be able to claim from the government when you don't actually need the help? Do your work colleagues see you taking longer lunches? How about taking stationery from the office for home? What about tardiness in arriving on time for work and for meetings? I had a situation once when one of my directors was buying golf clubs for clients. $1,000 golf club, one. Right? It's like, oh, no, it's just a gift. You know, it's, it's a thanks for the business. It's like, thanks, really? Is it really? What is it? We couldn't, you know, what is it? It's a gray area? Well, if you find yourself making excuses and justifying them, then that's often the Holy Spirit working through your conscience. And I've learned that if it's a gray area, it's normally not the right area. 
The word calls us to be above reproach and to avoid all appearances of evil. Our fifth and final principle is the be bold principle. Not bold, that's my job. I want to challenge you. <laughs> I want to challenge you to begin to think differently about what you set your sights on. Formidable goals lead to personal growth, and your potential always stretches to meet the demands. That's how God has created you. I believe we are called to be bold for the kingdom, to set and to take on God-sized miracles. The God of the universe has said that He is on your side. He has promised to never leave nor forsake you. He has promised to equip you and to complete the work that he has begun in you. Any more promises we need? With all of these promises, why shouldn't we be bold and take on big challenges for his kingdom, especially if they're kingdom-focused? Remember, all we must do is ask, and it will be given. But first we must pray that God's will becomes our will. Then our prayers and our asks will be aligned to God's. It has been said that the greatest mistake you could make in life is to be continually fearing you will make one. I'm sometimes tempted to be like the third servant in the parable of the talents who buried his talent in the ground because he was afraid. We hide our talents because we are afraid of failure and what others may think of us or the hard work and responsibility that may be involved. The two faithful servants in this parable must also have feared losing it all. Yet they did not, that did not prevent them from being bold and resourceful in doubling the talents that they were given. Which servant are you? When we came to follow, we loved that it was a church of big visions and bold plans. In a short time, follow has grown to what you see now. Acquired land for a future building, impacted the community through the food van and other outreach ministries. This is what I appreciate about Luke, our senior pastor, who recently won the Citizen of the Year Award. He might have bad taste in movies, but he's a great visionary. <laughs> Had to get that in there. Let me encourage all of you to step out in faith. Use your gifts and risk failure. Take on that job that pays less because you can impact more lives. Grow into a career that you are more passionate about. Take on those service opportunities in the church that you are not comfortable doing. Stretch yourselves. You will only grow and learn if you put yourselves into positions where you are out of your depth and are, in fact, uncomfortable. I've made a lifelong goal to be continually learning and reaching. It's allowed me to start Christian businesses and work in environments where I can influence people on a global scale. Think about how you can stretch yourself in your current vocation. Can you study that course while raising and juggling kids? Ask God for help. Can you change career and study medicine to become a doctor, to go into the mission field in Africa? Ask God to give you the strength and the skills. Remember, there are seasons as well. A time to be bold, a time to rest, a time for pruning and a time for growth, a time to bear fruit. It's also worthwhile trying to understand which season you might be in at the moment. You may feel that you're in a dead-end job and it does not seem like there is any career advancement. Perhaps you're in a season of rest and you just need to enjoy the quiet 
You'll know when it's time to move on. In closing, as Christians, we have been called to be spiritual light in a decaying world. To be spiritual, sorry, spiritual salt in a decaying world. To be spiritual light in the midst of darkness. We are to be wise stewards of the gifts and talents that God has given us. That means settling for nothing less than excellence. God help us to live up to his high call for each of us. For those of you who don't know the Lord as your personal savior this morning, I just want to remind you that Christ is the only way to be reconciled to God. Call on him, repent, become a new creation, and journey with the savior both in this fallen world and ultimately in his glorious kingdom to come. If this all seems sometimes a little too arduous and overwhelming for you, see this as an invitation to lean in to Christ's grace. Christ is an inexhaustible well. Draw from him. Don't think that you are worthless, that God, so worthless that God cannot use you. No one sitting here today is worthless. Not in God's eyes. For you're all made in his image, every single one of you. For those of you who profess Christ as Savior, you are kept, you are called, and you are loved. Isn't that good news, church family? No matter where God puts us, we're always safe in the loving arms of our Savior. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? We are more than conquerors through him who loves us. I love that good news. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we love your word, but Lord, we love you the most. We love Jesus and what he has done for us on the cross. That immense sacrifice. Forgive us, Lord, where we often don't sacrifice enough for your kingdom. Lord, this very week, hold us accountable in our workplaces for the things that we have learned today. Lord, help us to see people through your eyes, not through our own, Lord. Help us to see and understand sometimes the pain and anguish that is hidden just beneath the surface. Help us to ask the right questions to draw them out. Lord, help us to scratch just a little bit into their personal lives and see where they're at. Oh, Lord, give us wisdom to sow a word in season into their lives. Lord, our work areas are the missionary field. You are at work in those places. You have placed us in those places to be salt and light. We want to bring glory to you in those environments. Help us to be that, Lord. And help us, Lord, not to fear. That boss or senior person or somebody on the board, they may seem strong and aggressive on the outside, but, Lord, they may also just be as lost as, as a nine-year-old child, Heavenly Father. So help us, Lord, to have compassion on them and to come beside them and lead them to the cross. We ask all of this in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Thanks for joining us for our weekly message. If you're in the southeast area of Melbourne, we'd love for you to join us at our Sunday morning service. All the details can be found on our website at follow.church or you can find us on social media at follow Baptist Church.